Welcome to CPAC Now, America Uncanceled. Don't worry, I've had a good night's sleep. Back from CPAC Australia, this two-day extravaganza with our great friend, the chairman down there, uh, Andrew Cooper. Um, and you know, I tell you, I just have to say, before we get started with our guest, uh, pollster Jim McLaughlin, I just wanna say something that's happening around the world. We saw this in Italy recently with um, the election of Prime Minister-elect Maloney. Uh, and we're seeing this in Japan, we're seeing this in Australia, where these center-right, kind of middle-of-the-road establishment conservative parties are being upset by the more populist parties that are coming on the scene. And that's really what Maloney's victory in Italy represented. By the way, she's spoken at CPAC here in America twice. She comes right from the mainstream part of the ideological push of American conservatism. And she has her own Italian spin, which by the way, I just love listening to her talk. And uh, and what I learned in Australia is that the the Liberal Party, which down there is, is akin to the Republican Party, um, probably went a little too far on the lockdowns and the vaccine mandates. And boy, did they get pummeled at the polls. And uh, in talking to a lot of grassroots activists in Australia, they want the message out there that don't be complicit with the socialism and the Marxism and the totalitarianism and the fascism of the left on these basic questions. And so uh, this brings me to introducing one of our board members who uh, was Donald Trump's pollster. And I, he and I worked together on races for, I don't wanna say how long, it's a really long time. Uh, Jim <laughs> McLaughlin, thanks for joining me, Jim. Oh, come on, man. It hasn't been that long. <laughs> oh, a long time. Hey, you know what's funny? I was just in my basement uh, because when I come back from a trip, uh, my brain is all wired funny. And I was trying to clean up a little bit. And uh, one of the things I was doing was hanging up some political pictures. Uh, it was a long time ago, Jim. Uh, I was hanging up pictures from the races you worked on with Todd Tehart. And uh, yeah, it's been a really long time. I had more brown hair. It's been about 30 years. Both of us didn't have any gray. I got plenty That's of gray right. myself now. <laughs> so so let me get into this. Having just come back from CPAC Australia, and I'm going to write a piece up on this because it's fascinating what's happening in these countries. Every one of these countries we're in with CPAC, it's obviously different, unique cultures and stuff. But there are some real themes. And one of the themes that I'm seeing out of Brazil um, is where, we, where we've had a CPAC every year for the last several years, is the pollsters got it all wrong again. The conservatives, the nationalists, the populists, the Christians, whatever you want to call them, the go-to-church Christians, you know, they don't really want to talk to pollsters. They're afraid if they give people their views on issues like Black Lives Matter or abortion that they can get canceled professionally and on social media. Um, so they whiffed on Brazil. Here you have President Bolsonaro is in the runoff, despite the fact that all the polls from all the major uh, institutions in Brazil said that he would you know, lose by almost double digits. What's interesting, Greg Greenwald has a whole Twitter thread of how they missed it on all the uh, Senate races as well. Uh, races, they said that the liberals should win by 15, 17, 18 points. They ended up losing by 15, 17, 18 points. There is a nationalist populist wave going through a lot of these democracies. And it's what gives me also hope for November, because I think that's happening here as well. Yeah, and, and what you're seeing is the failures of liberalism. And one of the things we're seeing here in America, it's not just about liberalism anymore. 
these folks have gone to the radical left. And unfortunately, those surveys that you're looking at, Matt, just like the mainstream media coverage is left wing, a lot of the polling organizations in this country that the media pay for, they're left wing uh, pollsters. And you see a lot of confirmation bias out there in these polls. Like when you look at there's there's national surveys going out there where you only have about a quarter of the of their sample or self-described Republicans. When we all know, if you look back at the 2020 election, at least it was about 36 percent of the electorate were self-described Republicans. Basically, Democrats, Democrats were 37 percent. Republicans were at 36 percent. So I hope I'm not going too far into the weeds, but it's a consistent problem. They do it in the national polls where they undersample Republicans and conservatives, and they do it in the state polls where they're undersampling Republicans. And, and, and Jim, they the thing that's crazy is I just read a story, and I believe it was one in the Washington Post in the last two weeks. There's one in the New York Times in the last week. And they're fascinating stories to me because they all keep diagnosing the same illness, which oh, yeah. is they're undersampling Republicans. They really don't understand what this MAGA conservative voter is. They get, they've get gotten it wrong three cycles in a row. They, they, they believe, and one prominent pollster is, is quoted as saying, we've corrected it, but not as much as we should. And it's like, you're a freaking pollster. How do you not correct it all the way? It doesn't make yeah. any sense. It just looks like politics. Oh yeah, and it is politics. And look, there's a strategy behind this for the Democrats, for the left, for their friends in the media, what they're trying to do is, look, if you don't think your candidate can win, you're not going to show up and vote. So they're trying to tamp down Republican enthusiasm. And oh, by the way, one of the advantages, and it was a huge advantage that the Democrats had, especially over the summer, was they had a significant financial advantage in these campaigns. You know, I know some of the campaigns I'm working, somebody like Herschel Walker, he was outspent on the air about five to one over the summer. That makes a huge advantage. And what's happened is one of the and there's several reasons for the race is getting tighter. But one of the main reasons is the money advantage that the Democrats had. They literally tried to do what I call buy and lie. That was their strategy over the summer and even in the spring when they were up on the air. And now they don't have the financial advantage that they had before. But those polls. They're literally I you know, I thought in 2016 when we obviously said President Trump could win, I thought it was incompetence on the media's fault uh, on the media's and their polling apparatus. But now I think they do it purposefully. They're doing it purposefully to try to get strategic advantage. Yeah, I I agree with that completely, because remember, polling is math and um, it's it's demographic analysis. And uh, this whole idea of who your survey is is more interesting in many ways than what the answers are and what they believe on issues because pollsters have to take certain things into account. And one of them is how many Republicans are in the survey. And the other thing that I think is very discouraging is is that, uh, you know, there's always this thing about likely voters, registered voters, and you have a lot of polls that come out with people who they, they haven't checked whether or not they're registered. So they're obviously garbage polls unless a state has the ability for you to register that day or something like that. I know there are some jurisdictions that allow it. So it comes down to registered voters. But even in a midterm like this, when it seems like the future of America is on the line, you know, what percentage, if you looked at it nationally, and I know that's hard to do, of these registered voters are going to vote? 
Yeah. Oh, no. We always see that, obviously, in the midterm elections. And one of the things you want to do is not just what you said, talk to registered voters, but talk to likely voters. Because, as you said, these midterm elections, they are a different animal. I mean, turnout is probably going to be a damn. So, Jim, can I just can I just help with the parlance there? You yep. got to go to registered voters, obviously, but within yep. the subset of registered voters, you've got to use your decades of experience to figure out who's who are the real voters out of that subsection of registered voters. So unless yep. the pollsters are first of all into the registered voters uh, uh, voter files and then they have the right approach on likely, which these pollsters either are doing perfectly or just don't understand why people like me are going to vote aggressively. They're going to vote early. They're going to vote. They want to vote because they're so mad about all these policies. No doubt about it. And I think what we're seeing, too, and, and you notice Republicans have been getting better ever since that crazy devil speech, rant and rave that, that uh, Joe Biden did back in Philadelphia was he attacked Donald Trump supporters. One of the reasons why by why uh, Republicans didn't do well in uh, 2018 was because about nine to 11 million Trump voters stayed home during the midterm elections. What's happened is those attacks now on quote unquote MAGA Republicans, that is reinvigorating the Trump base, the conservative base. They want to come out and send a message. And I'm telling you, most of these Donald Trump voters, they're going to come out. And the reason they're going to come out is because it's issue related. They see the failures that Joe Biden's had on things like the economy, inflation, crime, the borders, national security, et cetera, versus Donald Trump's successful agenda. They know we're doing significantly better under his policies. And again, I think those negative attacks that Joe Biden's doing, and he's doing it to try to rev up his left wing base, but I think it's going to backfire when it's all said and done. And I think you're seeing it in the polls that we've seen over the last few weeks. That's interesting. You bring up that speech because my takeaway, Jim, was that was a week, a speech of political weakness. You know, when you start attacking voters uh, as a strategy to get to your goal, it means you're going to lose. When Hillary Clinton started attacking uh, Trump supporters, a lot of Democrats in that mix, by the way, and calling us deplorables and irredeemables, it gave me a lot of hope because yep. to me, that's a that's a dog whistle, to use one of their terms, to their own people to make sure that they come out. And so what Joe Biden is doing in taking on King MAGA, Ultra MAGA, calling my 82-year-old mother a semi-fascist because she goes to church and your family members as well. The um, In doing that, that's just a call to blue America to vote. Yep. And that's defensive because the majority is going to go through all these independent households and we can win on all the issues. They can't win on one single issue, not even abortion, um, yep. maybe in certain pockets. So to me, this is all defense. This is all good news. This is why there's going to be a big red wave. And I couldn't agree with you more. And one of the reasons he's doing it is even when Donald Trump was at his lowest points, we never really saw in our polls his we never really saw his favorabilities go out of the mid 40s. Now, what we're seeing is uh, we're seeing Joe Biden's favorability in about the 30s. And oh, by the way, 
the like 90 percent of the folks that would tell you they were either favorable to uh, Donald Trump or they approved of the job he was doing. There was intensity there it was strongly or was very favorable. Only about half of the small number of voters that approve or are favorable to uh, Donald uh, to Joe Biden actually have an intense support for him. His intense support is only about 20 percent. That's what they're worried about in these mid in these midterm elections. So they're looking for any means yep. necessary to fire up their base. And oh, remember, he was the guy that was going to unite us and bring us together. And yeah, calling. Name calling, it's a bad political strategy. So if his only strategy is to get hardcore leftist Democrats to vote, uh, sounds like it's going to be pretty good for us, Jim. Oh, no, I, I think it's going to be really good. I kind of laugh when people say, yeah, well, maybe the Republicans, they're going to get a majority, but it's going to be a small majority. I think, Matt, it's going to be a minimum of 30 seats and could be more. And I think one of the reasons it might not be as high as it is, is just simply because we haven't had the resources to target. I know on That's paper right. right now, there's folks at like the NRCC and some of these other battleground groups that are trying to win a majority for the Republicans, that they have their battleground list up to about 75 seats. Right. And I've seen, you know, some of these lists, I've got somebody like, say, uh, somebody like Mike Lawler. Mike Lawler is running in New York 17 the New York City suburbs. He's running against Sean Patrick Maloney. Who is Sean Patrick Maloney? Sean Patrick Maloney is Nancy Pelosi's campaign manager at the DCCC. The That's guy crazy. that she put in charge of keeping her in the majority. This is a district that Joe Biden won by 10 points. Our last survey, Mike is up by four. And why is he up by four points? He's up because he's winning about 25 percent of the Democrats. He's winning a majority of Hispanic voters there. Why? Because they see the failures of Joe Biden, Kathy Hochul, the Democratic governor of New York, when it comes to the issues that they care about most, inflation, so, pocketbook issues and crime. So what I'm hearing from you, Jim, is the same theory uh, that's gotten me in trouble with uh, some of our party leaders in the Republican Party. But Yes, if you want to give the top tier races a check, you should absolutely do it. Uh, CPAC's action pack is all over these races. But we're trying to look at races that you're not reading about, races that are down the priority list. Because when I have done political efforts in the past, post uh, my White House years, I've made the mistake of taking outside money and focusing on the top eight races or yeah. the top 10 races. And in a wave election, you win all those. The only way you don't win those is if your Republican candidate is just bad yeah. and uh, or the state is just impossible. And so you take that aside and people should fund all those and that's great. But it's that next tier that they're not being outspent five to one, they're being outspent 10 to one. Yeah. But they got a real shot because of the issues you just mentioned. And so maybe what we have to do as an organization is put some more names like that out on Twitter and on our website. So people who want to contribute to these candidates can see who are these people. Mr. Lawler is a great candidate to recommend. Yep, and and that's a great point because we're seeing that across the country is that, yep, you've got those top 10, those top 15 races, but you and I know we don't want to just get a five, 10, 15 seat majority. 
because then what happens is then you have the rhinos running the caucus. We got to make sure we win by about 30 percent plus about by about 30 yep. seats plus, which I think we really have the ability to do here again, in spite of the media and the Democrats trying to tamp down. That's on right. Expectations. And you're exactly right that you want to do it in these races that aren't necessarily in that top tier. You think about it. You and I, almost 30 years ago, when we worked for Todd Tehart, he was not funded by the NRCC. We won that race on our own. And I think you're going to have several Todd Tehart's, just like back then, they didn't have it on their radar screen. They're going to come in because Joe Biden and the Democrats' failures. Yeah, when uh, when the big red waves happen, you never quite know what's going to get washed up onto the shore. Uh, we're going to have some wonderful new uh, members of Congress and senators. Uh, Jim McLaughlin, I know uh, my team here is saying we're coming to the end of our time, but I want to delve into this question that you and I have talked about, which is Republicans love to talk about cutting taxes. They love to talk about regulation. They don't love talking about spending, but this economic bundle is easy for them. It's, you know, it's a chip shot for them. And what I'm trying to get Republicans to understand is there's a whole new set of issues that really work well for us politically. The Democrats' war on cops has created this massive spike in crime. The Democrats' war on parents have created all these moms who are scared for the future of their sons. You know, what are their economic chances uh, if they have toxic masculinity in their sons? By the way, if I had sons, I would want them to have toxic masculinity. I think it's a good thing, not a bad thing. You know, you look at all of these woke issues about how white people have to apologize for being white and white straight Christian boys have to apologize for every one of those characteristics. And girls are under attack in their sporting events by biological males who say they're trans. And we can go on and on and on. These are issues that are less comfortable for Republicans to talk about. I know for me personally on the issue of trans, you know, uh, I think we have to be uh, sympathetic to these people. They're God's children, just like we all are. But there are certain boundaries in civilization that you must follow or you'll have chaos and you'll destroy the chances of young girls to compete in athletics, young boys to have an economic chance. And we've signed up for Marjorie Taylor Greene's bill that would make it a crime to go after these tender kids at young ages and you know, give them surgeries and chemicals to change their gender, their physical appearances. You can't change your gender. Um, so, Jim, those sets of issues tougher for Republican candidates to talk about. Am I all wet thinking that these are a set of issues that can appeal to a lot of non-regular Republican voters? You are 100 percent correct. And it's not just it's going to help us with our base, because people always ask me, they say in an election year like this, what's more important, the base or the swing? And I say both. You need both. Both. What's, ha what's happening now is, especially with these key battleground voter groups, voters in the suburbs, Hispanics, and even younger people. Yep, everybody's worried about their pocketbook. But this White House and the far radical left wing turn that this White House and this Congress has gone, it's alienating voters in those swing groups, especially women, especially suburban married women. The last thing they want is for their daughter to be competing against some biological male. They just think that's outrageous. And then they watch on TV and they think something like Leah Thomas, you know, who was the trans swimmer at Pennsylvania, that that's normal. 
that's not normal to these people. And it's interesting because in many cases, we're seeing the moms, they're getting woken up by these issues. They saw what their kids were being taught during COVID over Zoom and whatnot. And again, I think it's opening up and it's expanding the conservative Republican coalition. And I think that silent majority, they're gonna come out on November 8th. So I heard from you, 30 seats as a floor for the House of Representatives. And I know you're working on more House races. It's impossible for to have one House of Congress have a dominant wave and to have no substantial wave on the other side. Uh, you think those races are also coming online as well, right? Oh yeah, you look, at, you look at it right now. You look at somebody like Ron Johnson, who over the summer, he might've been tied and whatnot. He's up, he's got a significant lead outside the margin of error right now. Why? Because of the issue of crime. They've exposed the radical positions of his opponent, Mandela yep. Barnes. You look at somebody like Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz has basically gone into a, a statistical time right now with John Fetterman on the issues of crime. And then you look at it, I look at issue, I look at a race like Georgia, and you we've all seen the dishonest negative attacks that they're doing on Herschel Walker right now. Even with all the money that Raphael Warnock has spent, and by the way, between him and the outside groups on the Democratic side, they're already over $100 million. He's still under 50%. So you look at these incumbents like um, you, like Raphael Warnock. By the way, Adam Laxalt, he's, I really believe he's going to beat Catherine Mastos um, again. He's got her under 50%. There's even been surveys with her ahead. All these Democratic incumbents in these Senate races, under 50%, chances are in a wave election, they're going to lose. Yeah, I agree with you. So I'm still bullish on the big red wave. I thought it'd be great to have Jim McLaughlin on to talk about it because it sounds like he's at the same position. Look, folks, at the end of the day, this is math. This is demographics. Yep. And, yep. you know, if you could give me three issues that the Democrats were outmaneuvering us on, I might be a little more bearish on a big red wave. I can't find one. They got nothing to talk about. So all they're going to do is October surprises on the character of the Republican yep. candidates. And, you know, in the end, uh, I, we're not electing uh, our pastor, our rabbi, our pope. Uh, we're electing somebody just to fight for our beliefs. And sometimes it takes someone who's lived a, kind of a nitty gritty life to know how yucky the swamp can be. Yep. And then some and you're exactly right, by the way, the Democrats, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, they fight dirty. They're going to try to buy these elections. And I'm telling you, we're just seeing the beginning of the October surprises with them. Yep. They're going to try to pull out all the stops to stay in power. Yeah, I agree with you, Jim. Uh, Jim McLaughlin, thanks for all you do uh, for CPAC. And thanks for joining us today again on America Uncanceled.